grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. As I listen to Brother Ben speak of the marvelous grace of God, my heart was filled to rejoicing. And as I am sure was your experience, you felt that God has fed us. And I thought to myself that it would be appropriate if we said amen and concluded right there. But nevertheless, it is the the program here, the custom that we would have two speakers, and so I will pray that God also, who is rich and who is able to provide according to our needs, will continue to feed us. Before I begin with our text, I want to convey loving greetings from the Christians that I recently had the opportunity to fellowship with in Russia. I returned last week. There was a group of 14 of us Americans and five Russians who spent three weeks traveling over a wide area of Russia. We visited in four different congregations. And in each of those places, the joy and the love of God was so evident that I know I speak for the entire group when I say it was a foretaste of heaven. We rejoiced together there over the common salvation. And when I say common, I don't mean ordinary or simple but I mean over the common experience, the joint experience of the love of God drawing us through His Word and by His Spirit from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His marvelous light. It's such a joy to go there. It's such a strengthening and encouraging experience to see that the Spirit of God is alive It strengthens my faith to see the wonder-working power of God our Father as He draws those, His elect, those whose names He knows, knows, as the brothers already made known, He knows His children, and He draws them many times in circumstances from places and life situations that would seem to us impossible some of those that we have met in our travels there come from what we would consider very horrible and terrible backgrounds. But I think one of the greatest joys we had there was to interview or to meet, to discuss, to fellowship with a young man who was converted in prison. He was a young man that lived a life of gross sin. He was a drug addict who lived as sinners do in fully in the control and in the domain of Satan. His life, his actions were not according to God's will. In fact, they were completely contrary to God's will and consequently God in His grace allowed this young man to suffer the natural, the temporal consequences of his sin. He ended up in prison. But amazingly, even there in that terrible place, and I do mean terrible, if you've never heard about the Russian prisons, they are vile places places that are not fit for man or beast. They're places where these young men that end up there get a foretaste of hell. No, I don't mean that it would 
truly compare to the fullness of God's wrath poured out, but they see an environment there where God's Spirit is completely completely removed. Most of the time they live as animals there, fighting, living just by their base instincts. But amazingly, God has chosen many of those prisons as the place where he will accomplish the work of his salvation. And so with this young man, he had the opportunity to be in one of the cells where Dennis Hillman labored, and he heard the word. And the first reaction was that he thought this was as some idle tale, some fairy tale. But amazingly, though even with his mind he rejected that word, God's living word began to work in his heart. Quite apart from his choice or his will acceding to it, accepting it, it was completely God's work. And in time, after he had heard the gospel proclaimed many times as Dennis visits there every week, God gave him the grace to be humbled in repentance, gave him the faith to call out to the God who offers us his grace in the gospel, and he asked, is there grace for me? And I know I've been in many of those same cells and same situations, and I know Dennis could hardly wait to send me the message when this young man had repented. And we know that there were angels in heaven also that rejoiced when this young man was given the grace to repent and believe, and now he has been released from prison. And I've done a lot of work in prisons, or not a lot, but I've visited a lot of prisons in America. And there's what are often referred to as jailhouse repentances. Those are repentances where people, for whatever motive, make an outward reformation, perhaps to get better treatment. Perhaps they understand that they have done something, they have transgressed. But it isn't a revelation or a recognition that they have sinned against God. But rather it's a repentance from consequences. And so they change their life, but as soon as they're out of prison, they go back to the old life. But in this case, we were concerned what would happen to this young prisoner when he was released. And because God was the one that had worked in his heart, because Jesus Christ had become dear to him, because the blood of Jesus Christ had truly cleansed him, had released him from the guilt of his sins. As Ben said, it gave him a desire not to offend against such a love, not to turn away from the one who had bought him. And so he came to Dennis's congregation and has been now there for some time as a faithful member of that congregation. We had an opportunity to talk with Dennis. This young man is also named Dennis. And he spoke of his ongoing struggle, of his life as a Christian outside of prison. It's very difficult there. He has no education or no higher education. Jobs are very difficult. And so the temptations of the street life, the former life that he was in, draw at him very very strongly, but by God's grace, he has avoided those, those temptations, but he still has struggles, doubts, questions. He sees his faults and his failures, and many times has had to return again to the throne of grace, and be assured that those failures can also, those sins can also be cleansed. And he asked us, 
to, to bring his request to the Christians here in America that you would remember to pray for him. He's 18 years old, if memory serves me correctly, and I believe that God has called him for the purpose that he would also be a preacher there in Russia, that he would be able to bring the word to others. But he needs your prayers, requested your prayers, as did the people in all the other places we visited. We went to, as I said, four cities, uh, quite small congregations in two of those places. But God is working in those congregations. I'll just give one more small story about, or short story about one of those congregations. And I believe that this is one of those experiences that has been the most encouraging, the most strengthening, the most faith-building, if you, if I can use that term, experiences that I've ever encountered. We went, we were invited to a small city south of Moscow last fall. The people that invited us had previous, or two months previous to that, heard God's word for the first time. Some of you may remember Misha and Natasha Krupanov, who were here for our convention last summer. They traveled with us, or they travel with us typically when we uh, do these mission trips as a translator, and, and uh, Misha's wife is very gifted musically. So they travel with us, and, and they have both been converted, and, and then they, when they came here to convention, they experienced something very, very special and very precious to them as they fellowshiped with the Christians there in South Carolina and throughout their travels in the United, Sta- United States. And so they told these friends in this small town of what they had experienced, not only in America, but how they had come to be the children of God, how they had received the forgiveness of their sins and been made the children of God's kingdom. They spoke to these people for about an hour, and the people were so intrigued that they traveled then back to Misha and Natasha's home a a month later and attended a service there in the church in Yama, Kingisep. There they heard about another hour of God's word. And they returned to their home, now having heard about two hours of discussion of God's word. We arrived after that. We walked into their home and they, we made some very brief introductions, and they asked us, now tell us everything about God's Word. We sat down and began to read from the book of Genesis, spoke about God's creation of the world, God's pre-existence, His plan of salvation. And as we were discussing the very early chapters of Genesis, the man of the house stopped me. Now remember, these people have heard now about two hours and 15 minutes of God's word in their entire life. The man stopped me and he said, Bruce, we're interested to learn everything about God's word. But the most important thing that we can learn is how pagans like us can have our sins forgiven. Imagine that, dear friends. We have, most of us, been raised all our lives around God's Word. We have heard the story of Christ Jesus from our youngest days. And I can only speak for myself how hard my heart is, how cold my heart is many times, how little effect that Word has on my heart. But by God's grace, he has imparted faith in spite of my resistance, in spite of my rebellion. But those dear ones there who have no background, who have limited opportunity to even own a Bible, 
God had done such a work of preparation in their hearts in those brief moments that he had been able to speak to them through his word. And they were humbled under the mighty hand of God. They wanted to know, could they have a part? Could they also have a place in God's kingdom? Imagine the joy that we experienced as we were able to bless them, to proclaim the gospel to them, that they also, though they were from another land, they weren't of Finnish ancestry or Scandinavian ancestry. They weren't well-known, well-versed in the, in the word. They didn't even hardly know how to ask the question in the way that we're familiar to. Is there grace for me? But they wanted to know if pagans if pagans qualified for God's mercy. So those are two brief examples of the blessings that we have received as we have been on this trip. And I would want to I would want to encourage you all to remember them in prayer. I just want to before I read my text I want to read a couple verses that Paul wrote to the Romans which really characterize our experience there in Russia. For I thank my God, this is from the first chapter of Romans and I'll read in Jesus' name. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you be established. That was Paul's wish, that he would impart a spiritual gift for the edification, the, the strengthening, the upbuilding of their faith. But then he makes known, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Though we go there with this treasure in earthen vessels, that we go there with the word of life, with the hope and the prayer that we would be able to impart some spiritual gift, indeed the most rich spiritual gift that mankind can receive, the gift of that. We know it's a gift from God, but God works through the work of His church, through His Word and by His Spirit. But we must go. We must bring that word because we know faith comes by hearing and without bringing that word it's impossible that those would be saved. And so it's our desire to go there according to the calling that God has given us to proclaim this gospel in all the world for a witness. We don't go there pressuring people, forcing them to accept, to believe the gospel, but we go there spreading the seed of his word with the prayer that it might be received as a spiritual gift but it is it is the experience of all of us that have been there that have been on any mission trip i think that we have been comforted by the mutual faith of both those who hear and share their faith with us and we who bring the word there Please remember them in prayer. There is many, many more there who I believe God would desire could hear the word. And so pray that God would establish those that have heard and have received the word, establish them in his word so and on the rock 
so concretely, so firmly, that then they also would be a light there in that sin-darkened part of the world. For our text, I'm going to read from the prophet Zephaniah. Prophet Zephaniah, one of the latter prophets in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Again, reading in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy, the King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Amen. This prophet Zephaniah, as I've said, was one of the latter prophets in Judah. He was a man who God had ordained to bring a message to these inhabitants of Judah, that place that had been so blessed of God, that place in that land that God had led his people into several hundred years prior to this, that land that was flowing with milk and honey, that land where they were to be his chosen people, they were to be his light in the world. And we know we're all familiar with the history of Israel, how it began as a united kingdom. It was ruled by judges. And then the people who looked at the nations of the world began to plead for a king. And we remember how God allowed them their wish. And he told the prophet Samuel that they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And time and time again through the history of Israel, there was warfare. The people turned to idolatry. They forgot the Lord. In their prosperity, they sought other gods. They worshipped idols of stone and of wood. And over and over again, God sent them prophets to warn of the consequences of their rebellion. And in time, the people would repent, and God would again restore his blessings to them. But it wasn't long, and they would forget God's commands. They would forget to worship only him, to give praise and glory and honor unto the one who had created them, the one who had blessed them by making them his own children, the one who had given them, given them this good land. And so, for hundreds of years, this cycle repeated itself. Over and over again, they were overrun by enemies. And ultimately, the kingdom was divided. There was such a rebellion in the heart of the people that the tribes were divided 
into Judah and Israel, the ten tribes that became Israel, we know their history ended before even this prophet prophesied. They were taken into captivity. But Judah was preserved. Judah had another chance, another opportunity to return to the God who loved them, the God who had led them, who had led them out of captivity and brought them into this wonderful place that they dwelled. And even in this time of, Je of Zephaniah, there was a godly king by the name of Josiah. And Josiah removed all of the idols out of the land. He smashed the idols. He stopped the practices, the pagan practices, the idolatrous practices of the people, and restored again the worship in the temple. And yet the people's hearts were so hard. They were far from God. And so God sent this prophet Zephaniah to pronounce these harsh, harsh judgments that would befall Judah. And we know that this wasn't recorded so that we might look at Israel, might look at Judah in judgment so that we might say what foolish people they were. But this has been written as Paul writes that all scripture is profitable for us. It has been written for our learning. And I know as I read of this history of Israel, so many times I think how closely it applies to my own life. This prophet told, warned the people of horrible, horrible things that would befall their land. The consequences of their sin. The judgment of their transgressions. He said that there would come enemies who would inhabit the land. They would cut off the people. They would destroy the people. There would be weeping and crying in the land. When we read this, I'm sure our mind would think it's only appropriate, it's only right that these people who so abused and so trampled on the goodness of God should be punished. And how much more can we say for ourselves? The Bible tells us we heard this morning that there is none righteous there is none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of their... All we like sheep have gone astray. And so these people that we read about in the Old Testament, their sins, their rebellions, are an ever-present reminder of our own natures. And they're an ever-present reminder of what we are due for our sins. I know that we've all, as I said earlier, we've heard this from our youth. We've heard that we are wretched and vile sinners. And I don't, for a minute, minimize the importance of that message. For it is true and it is according to God's word. But that message gives us no hope. It does not enkindle faith in our hearts. It does not create a desire in us to seek after God, this one who is not willing that any should perish, this one who loves us with an eternal love, this one who created us to be in fellowship with him, and so we see God along with this message of sin and its consequences always holds out a loving offer of salvation. And so it is with this prophet Zephaniah. He tells us that though these people will be, dis will be punished, those who are unrighteous, 
he also gives us this beautiful, loving message of God's grace towards Zion. He tells us that these consequences are going to fall on the inhabitants of the land, but then he tells us that there will be a remnant, a remnant chosen by grace who will be spared. Many times I've wondered, struggled with, and I know it's perhaps even a taboo subject, God's election, predestination, these subjects, how is it that God chooses some and apparently doesn't choose others? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why he makes this promise to a remnant, but he does. I remember hearing a debate about these doctrines, and one man said that they only create confusion. They only create controversy. And I think that's true. And so rather than muddle our minds trying to understand those things, I think it would be much better for us if we simply, by faith, accept what God tells us in His Word when He says, And the coast of Judah shall shall be a house for the remnant. They shall feed their flocks thereupon. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. Here in the midst of this horrible and and terrible message of destruction, of punishment, God speaks of a remnant. God speaks of those who will be spared the consequences. They're just due for their sin. He tells them Therefore as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom, and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. This is the judgment that he has spoken. But then he said, The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. God promises that he will spare this remnant, that they will inhabit the land that was formerly overrun with evil. He promises that he will vanquish their enemies. He says that the Ethiopians will be slain by his sword. But then he says, The flocks shall lie down in the midst of her. All the beasts of the nations, both of the cormorant and the bittern, shall lodge in the upper lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in their thresholds, for he shall uncover the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, there is none beside me. Those that were so presumptuous as to think that God would not reward their sin. She obeyed not the voice, she received not correction, she trusted not in the Lord, and drew not near to her God. But then he says, I will leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. How is it that in the midst of this chaos and destruction and despair, there will be a group, the poor and afflicted, who will trust in the Lord? What is it that will cause them to be different? What will empower them? What will create in them 
this trust in the Lord? Will they do it by their own strength? As we've heard and I mentioned, there, the Bible says that there's none that seeketh after God. Jesus said, no man can come to, the, come to me except the, the Father draw him. This then is the message that Zephaniah also tells us that we are incapable of returning to God, of attaining to a righteousness that is acceptable in His sight, of even searching Him out, seeking Him, trusting in Him. And so He tells us now as we begin our text, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away thy judgments. He has cast out thine enemies. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. This work of salvation, this work of drawing, this work of awakening, then we see, is entirely God's work. What a marvel it is that we who have been spiritually dead, we who have no capacity to seek God, we who are equally worthy of destruction, God comes and rescues. God seeks out, searches out. As he tells the prophet Ezekiel, I just want to read briefly in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel God says therefore say unto the house of Israel thus saith the Lord I do not this for that for your sakes O house of Israel but for my holy name's sake I will take you out from the heathen and I will gather you out of all your countries then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and give you a new heart of flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. This work of grace that God does is solely His work. This is why we can say truly that He is the only one that is worthy of glory. God's highest glory, the way that we see Him revealed in His greatest glory, is in this work of salvation. This work when He comes and searches and seeks out those who are completely lost completely hopeless, completely without strength, He begins to draw us by His Spirit. We remember from our catechism teaching how Luther says that it is God who, by His Spirit, calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church. It is God that does this work. He does it by His Word and His Spirit. And this prophet Zephaniah expresses it so beautifully when he says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all thy heart. What a wonder it is that God has chosen you and I. What an amazing thing it is that we who are just as worthy of destruction because of our sins have instead been dealt with according to God's mercy, His kindness, His long-suffering. Zephaniah says, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. It is entirely God's doing. Remember when Moses had come down from the mountain 
He had received the commandments and he found the people there dancing around the golden calf. God became extremely angry and he told Moses he would no longer go with the people. And Moses prayed to God that God would not leave them because Moses was fearful to proceed without God's help. And so Moses went into the tabernacle and he prayed there and God came and met him. And Moses asked God to show him his glory. It's recorded in the 33rd chapter of Exodus what God's answer was. God, Moses pleaded with God, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. One would think that God would manifest himself in all of his holiness, his magnificence. Moses, that no man can see God and live. But then he makes an amazing statement. Moses is asked this question, show me thy glory. And God's answer to Moses is, I will make my goodness to pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And then these words, And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will, be, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God's ultimate glory is revealed in his grace. This is what the prophet Zephaniah is also telling us. When God, according to his abundant mercy, according to his loving kindness, condescended in the person of his Son, he accomplished for us something that was totally impossible for us to accomplish of our own merits, our own strength, even of our own desire. The work that God has done for us, dearly beloved, is such a wondrous thing. It is in spite of ourselves, not because of any merit in us. It is because of God's great and abundant grace that you and I, this day, can count ourselves as His children. What a wonder it is that this God who is high, who is lifted up, as Isaiah says, who, whose train when it entered the temple was awesome to behold. The temple was filled with smoke. This God who is so holy and so righteous has deigned to show His loving kindness to you and I. How can it be? How is it that we merit this salvation? The truth is we don't. And yet He has shown it. And He comes to us even this very night. To you who may be sitting there wondering, what is this man talking about? I don't know this grace. I'm, I'm, I'm living in a way that I know is not acceptable in God's sight. I'm far from God. I'm living a double life. I'm living with many ugly skeletons in my closet. God is here this evening so that you, dear friend, can hear this precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the forgiveness of your sins, of cleansing in His blood. He has come here this night, not because there's any worthiness in you, not because there's any goodness, any merit, but because He loves you. He loves you, and though you are destined, though you deserve nothing but wrath and punishment. This is not the God whom we love and whom we serve. The Bible says that God is love. Some people confuse this. They talk about all of God's characters and put them on an equal basis. It is not according to Scripture. God is love. His preeminent quality is love. The writer to the Hebrews says that God who in former times and in diverse manners spoke to us through the prophets 
has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. What do we see in Christ Jesus? We see the very ultimate expression of God's love for us. His dearly beloved who came and was sacrificed, who endured all of the punishment that God speaks speaks of here, this destruction, this outpouring of his wrath. He willingly took this upon himself so that you and I, who are no more worthy than these rebels of Israel, these sinners of Judah, so that you and I could be reconciled unto him. He has such an infinite love for us. He has such a desire to be reunited with you and I that he has paid this ultimate price because he knows not only will we not desire to come to him of our own will, but there's no way that we could ever approach except through the merits and the blood of Christ Jesus. Zephaniah concludes by saying, Behold, at that time I will do all I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that is halt, and I will gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. God promises you, dear one, who don't know, who haven't experienced the cleansing in Christ Jesus' blood. He wants you to know that though this sin that afflicts you, though this estrangement that sin has caused would make you wonder, would make you question, is it really possible? God wants you to know that He has come here tonight just as He came to those in Israel, in Judah. He is here in Zion and He proclaims to you, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Why would you be glad and rejoice if you're in your sins? Because it is the day of grace, dearly beloved. It is the time when you can receive cleansing from your sin. Remember how the prophet Zechariah says that in that day, that day when Christ's blood has been poured out, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. That fountain has been opened, dear one. It is here in our midst. It is a fountain that Christ Jesus has made possible through his sufferings and his death, the outpouring of his precious blood, that blood which has filled this fountain of cleansing. And even at this very moment, God is here in our midst, calling to you, speaking to you, drawing you to himself, saying, come and be cleansed. We heard as the brother spoke of this leper who cried out to Jesus, if thou wilt, thou can cleanse me. And what was Jesus' response? Did he tell him to clean up his act, to bandage his sores, to better himself? He said, I will be thou clean, be thou healed. And that's what Jesus would say to you even this evening. And to those of you who have already come to know, who have become members of this kingdom, this precious kingdom of God's elect, this message even this evening belongs to you. You may feel your frailties. You may feel your oft-rebellion. You may see in Israel, in Judah, these, these people who experienced all of God's blessings and yet oftentimes turned away. You may see yourself. You may see your failures. This fountain of cleansing, this God who promises that he will come and cast out your enemy, he will take away your judgments, would also want you to believe this evening that your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name and shed atoning blood.
Amen. Gracious Father, we again thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you, Father, that you have not rewarded us according to our sins, but that you have dealt with us according to your mercy. We thank you, Father, that you have come searching and seeking for us, that you have not left us lost and blind, halt and, and estranged, but you have come seeking us. You have accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation. You have chosen us. You have, by your word and your spirit, granted unto us eternal life, cleansing from sins and fellowship with thee. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your spirit to abide within our hearts, to testify of your love for us, to lead us into all truth. For your word tells us that this word will lead us in the way that we are to go, and we need that no man should teach us. And as it hath led us, that it will continue to lead us. And so, Father, we ask that we would listen, that we would be obedient to the leading of your Spirit. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we pray that you would continue to keep us, give us hope, so that we might continue on this journey, which leads to life everlasting and fellowship with you in heaven where we will glorify and praise your name for all that you have done for us, your dear children. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Let's <clears throat> turn to song number 499, Be Still My Soul, and while we sing this song, we will have a free will offering.
I have a, <clears throat> a few announcements. First of all, this morning I mentioned about Russ and Susie and Ray and Ada getting in an accident, and we do have a little update that uh, <clears throat> Ray and Ada did go to the hospital and were checked out, and Ray did have a CAT scan to make sure he was okay and everything turned out all right. So he did get bruised up a little bit, but uh, he's okay and he's uh, was released to go home. So we thank God that he has protected them. For the young people tonight, are invited to uh, a gathering or a time of fellowship at Lauren Van Matson's. There is uh, some instructions and a map out there on the... Uh, table in the entry. If you don't know how to get there, we should be thinking about getting headed out there by 8 o'clock so it doesn't get too late. We have uh, supper for everyone. Please everyone stay and have supper with us and uh, we can have a time to fellowship together. Tomorrow we'll <clears throat> begin the final day of services at 10 o'clock in the morning and they will be the same schedule two in the afternoon and five in the evening. So let's close tonight with song number 562, Savior again to thy dear name we raise.